Okay. All right, guys, uh, welcome to the Dispensary Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Kwan, uh, the founder of Cannabis Marketing. We're a dispensary marketing agency, and I'm here with Alex and Jen from Brand Bar, uh, formerly, or I'm with Alex and Jen. They're from Brand Bar, and they're turning it to something special, and you're going to find out about that on the call. I'm not going to tell you what it is right now, um, but I'll let them introduce themselves and what they have going on for you guys. So take it away. Hi, Brandon. Hey, Brandon. What's going Thank on? You. What's going on? Yeah. So as you said, I'm Genevieve. I am the design director at Brand Bar um, with my partner, Alex. Hi. What's going on? What's going on? All right, let's, <laughs> let's, let's hop right into it. Let's hop right into it. So before we started this chat, uh, you know, uh, Alex, you and I connected uh, talking about Brand Bar and all that stuff, but you recently told me that you guys are rebranding uh, to uh, build. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so we uh, have been in business since 2014. So uh, when you invited us on, we're kind of at this turning point in our business, Jen and I. So we are partners. We are rebranding our favorite thing to do Mm -hmm. uh, to build. Um, And the reason why we're rebranding at this point and for anyone, you know, in the industry and obviously Brandon, as you know, we've evolved. We're changing. We have changed the core offering um, that we give to our clients. And so at that point, you know, if there's a big shift in your services, your products, maybe your location, just anything like that. Um, for everybody out there listening, this is a, that is a good time. If you'd like to change your name or maybe add something to it, that's the right time to rebrand. So going off that best practice, um, you know, here we are, we're changing our name and, um, why we're doing that again is we really, we started in 2014. We identified this gap in the Metro Detroit area, Jen coming from um, a design background, I'm a psychology major, and we, you know, had a small team and we just, we were noticing, I was noticing that there was this gap in the marketplace. So you either had to go to like a big agency and spend a ton of money, you know, to launch your business or kind of find that like friend of a friend or, or, you know, this is kind of like before Upwork and, um, you know, things like that became really popular, but it was either do it yourself, find a freelance designer or spend a lot of money. So we decided we were going to serve the Metro Detroit area on, you know, emerging and mid-sized businesses really on brand communication. So when we started, we were always in the branding space, but we weren't as disciplined as we are today Hmm. on identity design. We did stuff like, you know, a lot of email marketing, a lot of social media, a lot of flyers, a lot of little small tactical things kind of letting the owners um, or clients, you know, drive what we were doing more than today, a little more grown up. Um, You know, we're really married to our process. Our process is our product. Um, So that's kind of how we got here. Nice. So how, you know, I'm super interested in like these entrepreneurship stories, like, you know, what was the thing? So you mentioned your psychology, right? Um, So I'm assuming, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that, you know, kind of starting a business probably wasn't the first thing that you're thinking of. How did you exactly kind of transition to what you're doing right now? Like, what was the first step? Like, how, how, how did that look? Well, the first step was being a recent graduate, you know, <laughs> I'm a millennial, um, being a recent graduate and not really, I mean, to, to get into the true details of it, 
I had a series of jobs. I was working out in California. I had a number of bosses. I really loved business. Um, I was working for a startup out in LA. So I got trained on things like MailChimp and then I worked for a mortgage company and it was like, oh, you can use Twitter for business. And so like at that time in 2014, we were really discovering that social media for business was becoming this thing. It was not just like this personal space anymore. So Really, I have to say, as you know, I mean, kind of like where we fall in terms of, you know, there were the baby boomers and like that overwhelming kind of, I have to have a website. I need a social media presence. Can you mess with my Facebook for me? So I had moved back to Michigan and I started helping people on my own, just kind of use these tools. And then the role of graphic design. So going back to the psychology piece, you know, I always take the water industry as an example. That was something that Um, we studied like over at, uh, at Michigan, you know, it's water, right. But like these consumer choices are being made on what does the company stand for? Where is it sourced? Is there cause marketing behind it? Who are the founders? So all this transparency and like really like human perspective aspect was driving like that branding piece that was much more than just tactics. And Mm -hmm. so that's when I started hiring graphic designers, Jen, was one of the first graphic designers that was on my team. And she really drove um, the train, if you will, on how and why design is like undervalued, generally speaking, and how it can really take the company from kind of like mediocre to just that first impression that really, really carries you through when it comes to consumer choices. So why, how I started the business was purely just out of like, it was sort of happenstance, just helping people. I want to make some extra money. Then I realized I needed a team. So it was like kind of an accident, but not really. And I do, I mean, I do love business. I love entrepreneurship. And I think going back, John, you remember this, like working on your own terms, having flexibility, yeah. um, you know, not having to clock in and clock out, being comfortable at work. That was really, really important to us. Um, So that was one of the things that drove me to start my own business was that I wanted to work for myself and I wanted to work with people who valued that, that work-life balance, which, you know, I think a lot of at that time millennials were looking for. Yeah. I'm look, I can echo the exact same thing. It's like very similar, right? If you're in graphic design, I was doing web design stuff. That's, that's how a lot of us start, right? We do it ourselves, realize there's a bottleneck that we need to hire. Then we start an agency and then our, our experience grows. It's not so much, Hey, I just want to make money. We now provide an adequate level of value to society itself, whatever it is, our clients, right? Before it was like, Hey, I think I can make a, at least for me, it was like, I can make a couple dollars here or there. I can work on the internet, that sort of thing. But I think it, that is shown a lot through your rebranding and stuff like that. Cause technically you don't need a rebrand, right? If it was just about the money. Then it's just, you know, yeah, now it's about something right. else, but you're you're so spot on with that. Is that how you? Is that kind of how you came to do what you do too? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, not not to take over the podcast or anything like that. The way I started was, you know, I uh, was working for a company. Um, I did engineering. I was engineering my trade, uh, but I was like, I don't know if I want to do that stuff. Um, so then I worked for a company that did venture creation. They built a bunch of businesses in house. So I was able to kind of dip my toes and everything, but all businesses needed relatively the same stuff. Like they needed a website, they needed SEO, they needed some level of marketing in some sense. So I kind of took that and I actually started my own table tennis club, (laughs) right in my city. And then I used the same thing. I used, you know, uh, 
best table tennis club in insert city. We started ranking very, very well. And then I got a bunch of people coming in. We tripled our membership. Fantastic. And I was like, ah, I have something here. I have a business. Right. So then (laughs) I went to a couple other people and, you know, charging very, very little um, for my services. I was like, Hey, I have this service. You know, I think it'll be useful for you. Do you want to give it a whirl? build up the clientele base and just like you just very much freelancer right and I think uh, starting a business is slightly different from just like doing freelancer stuff because freelancer stuff you're just kind of you, you made your own job for you right when you build a business you have the brand behind it you have partners that you're going to bring on you have all these different things right so kind of evolved into that sense into you know how do I structure out a business so that I can hire the right people put the right processes in place and you know kind of get to where I am right now and you know I'm doing the cannabis stuff and that's kind of where I am um but yeah you know that, that's pretty much it but like I said I don't want to take over but um so Jen you know uh, Alex said that you know she brought you on as a graphic designer and stuff like that. How was that start for you? How did, how did, how did that kind of come about? Yeah. So, um, I was still in college when Alex happened upon me. Um, so I started as an intern there and, you know, over time was seeing that kind of gap of like graphics were constantly being needed for communications. Um, but there was never like this adherence to one style, like per client, it was kind of, you know, just making whatever to get the communications out quick, you know, um, quick turnaround type of projects where, you know, I see value in the place of, you know, when you have cohesion and visuals and the way you're communicating to your consumer base that elicits trust. And, um, Mm -hmm. that was something that was really important to me to establish that in the process and for our clients, you know, educating them on like why they should care about their brand what the visuals look like um so yeah over time starting at at brand bar I just built in more processes we had more discussions on like why it was important how we could alter you know um our services in order to stay agile and and provide the best best uh work for our clients so sweet and one thing that I'm super interested in is that like initially you're a hire and I noticed that you now refer to each other as partners. So I kind of want to unpack that a little bit. How, how did that kind of form into just you being an intern in the company? What advice would you have for kind of like people who are looking to be, you know, kind of the number two or even kind of be partners? Cause I, I think a lot of times I see like, Hey, you know, I'm going to go get a job and let's see how much money I can make and then kind of, you know, skip. Right. But I, I do see the value for both parties, right. For the employer to kind of train someone up to become that person that you can trust down the line. And then obviously for the employee to like have uh, something meaningful than just, Hey, I'm going to skip jobs and stuff like that. So yeah. was your first uh, intent to try and become partners and stuff like that? Or was it just something that just came about organically? It came about organically, yeah. honestly, um, you know, to Alex's point earlier, that work life balance was really important to me. I knew that I didn't want to go to a large organization. Um, I like working, you know, in a smaller setting more independently. Um, and I think it just, you know, over time naturally unfolded that way. Alex and I have great, you know, built a great relationship and we really trust each other and, um, we see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. So Mm -hmm. it just felt like a natural progression over time and we complement each other in terms of services. So, you know, our, our, um, what we provide as services rather. <laughs> That's nice. Nice. So yeah. Alex, no, I was just exactly going to ask well, what, you know, what your thoughts you know, were on that end. Just like to kind of top it off. I think to your question about if some if people are listening and it's like, okay, well, how can I, you know, make partner or again, this was not the intention. I got to a place in the business where 
it's like 50 50 strategy and design like you can't like to provide a good service from our point of view you had to have both so um we started to shape and refine like our team who we were hiring at the time like jen took on really claimed her her stake and took a lot of ownership in terms of when we were just working as you know employer employee relationship mm-hmm. but then having weathered lots of storms um especially through covid the pandemic you know and and i think like a lot of us have taking that hard look at like okay you know who, who are we what do we really want to do who belongs here you know we have this issue with um, well, not really an issue, but just like a challenge with, you know, any company, like, do you have the right people in the right seats? And mm-hmm. we scrambled for a long time, you know, hiring consultants and, you know, how do we structure ourselves? And we really, have, I, I approached it from a super formal standpoint at one point, but I think like back to our true nature, mm-hmm. we really just both have the attitude of like, let the chips fall where they may. And we yeah. know what's important to us, which is doing great work. Jen built up portfolio. I mean, I brought in clients and she created the process. So it was like, in that way, it was just a natural marriage, so to speak. But yeah, it was no plans to, um, to be here as we are today, but you know, cool that we are. So I think just like caring about what you do. I mean, if you know, and liking who you're working for, if you're staying true to what's important to you. Yeah. And if you like the leaders that you're working with, you know, in that case, then I think having the courage to talk about partnership or talk about equity or sweat equity, if you're joining, if it's something that's possible, because as an employer, you need to know, like, you know, I would constantly take temperatures on like, Hey, well, like, do you really want to be here? Do you want to be here for the next five years? Where are you at? Where are you at personally? Like, are you what do you really want out of life? So I think if you can get to know your team in that way, you can also kind of gauge if it, you know, what makes sense down the line. Yeah. I, I really boil it down for me personally. I boil it down into, you know, kind of two main things. It's like one, that ownership mindset, right? Are, are the people who are working for you taking ownership, accountability, or responsibility for what they're doing? Or is it, right. hey, I'm just here to rack up, you know, hours, right? So I get paid. Yeah. And then two, it's 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 that value exchange, mm-hmm. right? Like, Jen, you became indispensable to, you know, I don't know if we'll refer to it as, uh, you know, build or brand bar, whatever it is, you became indispensable. And I think as such, that resulted in, you know, kind of this partnership, you know, kind of flourishing into what it is right now. Um, So, you know, one thing you mentioned, you know, you're talking about, you know, figuring out who you are, the true nature and all that stuff. And that ties in perfectly with this transition into like branding itself. So, what is branding? If you were to kind of give me a, a two sentence to three sentence kind of overview into what you think branding is, you know, what, what is it? Do you want to answer Alex? <laughs> huh? You can go first. I go first. Okay. So branding, I mean, to its core is like, you want to figure out who you are. So establishing like what you're setting out to do, we call those pillars really. Um, so, you know, what's your mission? What's your vision? What's your promise? Like, what is your, um, your value that you're bringing to, you know, your consumers, clients, customers, whatever. Establishing that foundation is such a key part of the process and branding. And that should filter into, you know, every part, every interaction of your brand. So your brand is not only just the visual, that's just like one tiny part of it. Um, 
maybe not tiny. I mean, it's your outward facing appearance, but um, you know, it's your strategy. It's those foundations, the knowing who you are, how you communicate, you know, who your per, your consumers are, you know, establishing those personas, knowing who you're targeting. Um, and then, you know, translating that into visual form as well. And that's your outward facing visual identity, uh, you know, through colors, fonts, shape, compositions, all of that. Um, so it's a whole system of, of communication and visuals. Nice. Anything to and, add? Yeah, it's, it's so, you know, in a, in a really short way, maybe oh, yeah. like a nugget <laughs> for people to take away, but <laughs> no, I mean, answer is important because obviously design carries a lot of this forward, drives a lot of it forward. It's a set of perceptions, whether unconscious or conscious. So anyone out there that's looking to start a brand, think from the end, think like a consumer. How do you want them to feel? Branding is how consumers feel about your company, service, product, whatever it is. And back into everything that goes into that, having a sound strategy and driving it forward with clear and consistent design. Um, we trust what's consistent. We trust, you know, that we see something, if it shows up here, shows up the same way over here. So inconsistency, inconsistency is the antithesis of a sound brand. Yeah. But again, that set of perceptions um, that you want your customers to have, that's what your brand is. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a lot. That, that's quite a bit. So whoever's listening, take notes. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm taking notes right now. I'm making sure that, you know, I, I, know, I have I'm like, it's structure. hard to put this in three <laughs> sentences. I mean, we could talk it, about it forever, but you know, yeah, we're, we're yeah. still trying to distill it down and depending on, you know, what pops up on Google that there's just, there's so much, there's so many like good articles, um, you know, like academic papers and things yes. on. So brand as a word has come to mean different things. Like if you look at it historically, what it meant, you know, let's say like in the sixties um, versus now, I mean, it, it can really take you down the rabbit hole, but keeping it short and simple, we know what it means today. And it's integrity, you know, doing what you say on the inside, matching your, your public facing message on the outside. Mm-hmm. Obviously we know today, you know, the integrity of a company is really important to consumers. We don't want to like read one thing on the package and then find out tomorrow, you know, in headlines that they're doing something else. So um, the culture is really important. Your company culture is very important to your brand. Also your employees are a mouthpiece for your brand. um, Not just consumers going out and talking about it. Yeah. All really, really good points. Um, so I guess my next question on that would be just looking at all the stuff that you said, if you were to go to whatever company, a, what, what's the first step that you guys normally take then in terms of the branding? Like there's so many things that you need to take into consideration. Is it, you always start with one, two, three, or is it like you do a deep dive into what they have, look at the opportunities available and kind of hit those things. Like what does that little, the whole branding process look like, I guess, from start to finish. Yeah. Well, our process now has been uh, very distilled down to, you know, a, a simple tried and true. We know that it works. And where we start is the brand pillars that Jan, uh, Jan mentioned. <laughs> um, the brand pillars are really like just your business plan in a box type thing. What's your mission? Yeah. What's your vision? Um, you know, those kinds of things that go into it. Um Who's your audience? Who's your target market? So it's a little more extensive than that, but it's really yeah. not like too complicated. 
it's really starting with those things of positioning and your pillars and who you want to be and who you're trying, who you're competing with. That's super important. So we start with a competitive audit. If it's a brand or a company that's already, you know, we call it like a mid-level already um, established or, or semi-established company, mm-hmm. we will audit what they have. Some, in that case, probably if you've been, you know, working, which we, we've worked with companies like this for 10, 15 years, even five years, they know who they are. They're just yeah. looking maybe for a visual refresh to, <laughs> to represent who they are better. If they're an emerging brand or a startup, we would, we would start with those strategic questions. So there's just different levels, excuse me, you know, depending on where the company is, they know their brand mission vision and you just kind of like revamp it a little bit. Or if they're literally starting from scratch, you guys would go in and be like, Hey, let's do a full deep dive on exactly what you guys have going on and do the customer assessment and stuff like that. That's pretty much what it is. Right. In a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, I know you have a similar process too, when we um, cross paths, you know, on a, a mutual client or prospect, it was like, Hey, you know, from, from your standpoint, it's the same thing digitally. And where do you want to go? This is where you are. This is where you want to be. So like, let's create that roadmap to get you there, but go ahead, Jen. I I interrupted something you were going to say. Oh no. I was going to say, even for the brands that are already established, you know, and have a mission vision, maybe you have those pillars. It's still, you know, um, you know, finding any points of opportunity is still super important at the beginning of the, of the process as well. And still going through, you know, like an extensive intake of questionnaire to make sure that we are indeed like setting expectations for what they're needing, you know, who, what they plan or hope to be and, you know, getting them to that goal. So. Have you guys ever vetoed and a, a client idea, you're just like, Hey, like this, this isn't going to work. Like, have you ever been like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Or like, no, not, not, but like, Hey, I really don't recommend you do this. You try this with someone else before it's not really working out. Has that ever come across? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, the, the constructive feedback or critic, I mean, this is something we still grapple with. Like, how do you, like we can't be attached. It happens with us. We pitch things, you know, design strategies that don't really resonate, but we try to maintain this like healthy detachment because these are ideas. These are things you're not, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're not a good business person or you're not a good designer. Um, so I like that criticism and that feedback, like we have to maintain a healthy perspective on that. We also try to give it as like, we're, you know, we talk about it all the time. Like if we're respectful and if we're kind about it, but there's things that just like we won't do as service providers because we're putting our name on it too. So we can't do something Mm -hmm. wrong just because the client wants, wants that. Yeah. And is that mostly like strategic stuff or does that fall under a lot of the, you've created a, a brand or, you know, whatever that means, the fonts, the colors, the pictures, images, the logos, all that stuff. Or is it more so you're having that issue when you talk about the strategy You're saying, Hey, you know, I think the strategy falls under this, or is it kind of both? I'd say it falls more on the visual end of it, you know? um, Yeah. I'd say it falls on, it depends on who's answering. (laughs) We'll we'll go through both. We'll go through both. Yeah. I take a lot of punches too, strategy wise, but go ahead, Jen. Oh, I just want to say, you know, um, you know, naturally I think a lot of people are very eager to participate and the the back and forth is definitely something we encourage in in a process you know I want 
critical feedback and, you know, making sure that we're creating something that's not only stellar, but that the client's going to be pleased with and that also hits the mark and what they're trying to achieve, you know, for their consumers. Um, But, you know, I think a lot of times they'll either be looking to competitors and be like, I wanted to be just like that person or, you know, I think we should make it this color, this font, or can you make it look like that? And um, taking that more active role, even if it's not, um, you know, agreed upon with us, I think that's where it gets a little slippery in the process. But again, it just comes down to us being respectful and having that dialogue with them. Um, But I would say that's where it gets a little, uh, yeah, hairy for me in the process. (laughs) (laughs) Alex, what about you on the strategic end? So, okay. So if you have a budget, this sure. is like a, a, this is like goes into you have we have another question I know down the line of like what challenges do you have but getting ahead so we provide a brand, brand identity but then you get into rollouts we've been um, retained to facilitate rollouts and when you're getting into that situation or you're going to market especially a cannabis brand going to market they have a lot of competition you know, they, they need to have that curb appeal when there's a dispensary. If you're vertically in, integrated, you're competing in two places. So having a budget and backing into that budget is the most important thing. So from a, a tactic and strategy standpoint, Brandon, actually, this is a story for both of us. <laughs> um, we pitch people, have pitched, um, you know, a company on an SEO strategy and they wanted to spend money elsewhere. Now I didn't agree. Um, I don't think that let's say, we'll just, this is not what happened. So this is hypothetical, but like yes. company X wanted to maybe throw a grand opening party and they want to take that $20,000 and they want to, you know, do a grand opening. Well, I'm going to say, I think that that's a misuse of funds, you know, and this isn't, it's hard working with rollout budgets. So, but, and I would put it online because I believe that driving people to an intuitive appealing website. And I think the story that you tell with Google analytics and insights and clicks and impressions and all that is much more, has much more value in the long run and ROI than maybe throwing a party. So that's just an example of where from a strategy standpoint, you know, you can disagree with the client um, my advice is as long as you do your best to make your case mm-hmm. for what you think strategically is the best route, that's all you can really do. It's just like a compromise, just like yeah, a relationship, yeah. right? You, 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 totally. you give recommendations, maybe you have a bit more conviction in what you think should or shouldn't be done in some situations. And then, you know, they decide that they, they'll veto your veto, essentially. They'll veto our veto. (laughs) I mean, what you do, what we, I mean, simply put, I can stay with conviction and, and Jen would agree. Um, we like the second place. So tangible is super important, but that your digital presence is equally as important. So the first thing we're going to tell clients, especially in the cannabis space with things like, um, Leafly and, you know, all the other like third party ranking websites that mm-hmm. they, that are, are kind of crowding the space. And then all the other SEO that other competitors are doing. This is something in the strategy that should be considered. We take into account how the brand will, will appeal to people and how it comes out visually online. The yeah. first place I'm going to say to put your budget is 
in a good SEO strategy and in a, in a great website with a back end that is, works very friendly with your front end. So, and that's sustainable, sustainable from a management standpoint. This is like a big thing for us. We can only drive clients because we're not, we do not do digital marketing. Yeah. We don't do what you do. So coming together with like a cannabis vendor or partner, that's something that we would, you know, propose or work into like our initial conversations. Like, Hey, do you have an SEO and website partner? If you don't, this is who we recommend because this is what you're going to get out of it. So, <laughs> Oh, thank you. Look, I, I really, really appreciate that. And I think this all comes back from really? that first chat, right? You know, we had a chat and I was like, look, whether we work together or not, you know, I, I think this, this, again, we'll use the word organic, but I think we had a good chat and kind of led to this podcast and whatever, whatever else in the future. So look, I really appreciate kind of the, the, the big ups that you would, you would give us. <laughs> um, uh, so, was that? I was going to say like in, in for cannabis, but like we work across several industries. I mean, it's, it's really like, I think the days of like, is it this or that? I mean, really the first place you need to put it is in your online presence yeah i mean look i, I agree I, I had a chat with again you know a, a dispensary and they had a multi-million dollar budget right and there and apparently they didn't have any, have any roi so they came to me like hey we did all this stuff blah 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 like it didn't work i was like so i asked them what was your strategy it was it was like all offline stuff it was all like let's do the equivalent of the Super Bowl ads and things like that. And I was like, look, like what, you don't have any of the foundational principles in place. At the end of the day, you're brick and mortar. How do people find you? They find you online first. They look at your reviews and then they go into your store afterwards, right? Then they look at the branding from whatever, from a website perspective or from looking at the in-store. You know, I'd love to touch on, you know, how you guys do the in-store designs too, because that's something that I'm not familiar with at all. And then they keep coming back over and over again. Right. The, I, I tell my clients all the time that, again, you know, to kind of uh, mutually kind of uh, work with you guys in terms of what you guys are doing, you know, SEO is one part. Sure, we can get you through the door, but what kind of keeps people coming back over and over and over again? Right. There is no at this point in time, you know, I'd say the cannabis space is still in its infancy. So there's no necessary like, quote unquote, like Nikes or Gucci's or Pumas or Adidas or anything like that, because people haven't spent the time right working on the brand of, of what they have going on. Right. Or they haven't spent enough time over a long enough time span to reap the benefits of of said brand. Right. Which I think is 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 super, super important, at least what I, I think anyway. So, you know, what what do we know? Right. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Jen, can, Jen can go into in, into um, more depth, and so we don't provide interior design. We've we've worked alongside interior designers and architects ah, okay. doing build outs, but Jen gets into the we get into the details on the narrative, the voice and tone, we like for all the language in the space to go back to the brand reasoning, um, but. In terms of applying that, there's challenges and there's successes. I mean, so Jen has, we, we have had clients where we are helping the retail team do some of their merchandising, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll let her talk about what happens on the inside. In sure. Case. Yes. Give us, give us the inside scoop. Yeah. So really, I mean, again, it, it's, it's been different in every process. As Alex said, we'll work with architects, interior designers, or even just, you know, the company itself, someone who's internal and overseeing that. Um, so it really comes down to 
like what is needed in the space in terms of graphic design and branding. And then from there, they communicate with me back and forth, like, okay, we have this area, what you, what can you come up with in terms of artwork that would go here on this wall or signage here? These may be window graphics and then, you know, choosing vendors also, you know, if it's, if we're not working directly with an interior designer or an architect that doesn't have, you know, those connections, then it's sourcing vendors, making sure we get the right people in to, to um, execute on those projects. Um, I mean, we've, I've been there with, you know, oh, we're going to put this artwork on this wall, whether it's, you know, posters or marketing material or, or different types of shelving, like where should it go? Um, so it just depends on how much they want to um, rope me into that process, but I'm happy to, you know, jump in and provide any, you know, any services in that way and, and, and some feedback and sure that's staying on brand in those spaces. Oh, I was going to say too, one thing that should happen inside the space, Brandon, once you get them there with your amazing SEO, et cetera, and Jen applies as much as she can is keeping it all in check. Yes. Having somebody who makes design decisions, one point person. So that again, going back to the, this consistent branding, cause like we'll, we'll start out strong and then the brand can get diluted. Yes. So mm-hmm. over here is making this sign person decided they wanted to, you know, extrapolate, you name it, whatever it is. If you want your brand to live a happy life, <laughs> yeah, make sure that you have a good set of guidelines and that interior design, that everybody has those brand guidelines and that everybody's respecting those brand guidelines and that you have graphic design support to make sure that that consistency is adhered to. So how would you recommend a, it doesn't have to be a dispensary, but just any company continue to do essentially to, uh, to not mess up the foundation of what you guys have done? Like, what would you say are some of the things that they can do to make sure things are good? Like, is it you guys just create brand guidelines and they never do anything else? Is it they bring in someone that kind of spoke with you and they kind of continue that? Like, what does that process look like for extending the longevity of a brand? Yeah, so I think there's different levels of it too. And it depends on who they have internal, you know, if they have, the ability to bring someone on internally onto their team, or if it's, you know, uh, some sort of retained contract in a way to keep that work, you know, staying consistent with a graphic designer. Mm. Um, but I, I mean, I would always recommend having a solid graphic designer or contact, you know, that can maintain stuff, or if it's, you know, us understanding what their needs are, setting up proper templates so that they can, you know, go into a program, switch out the text, it's still branded, you know, they can, they can export that however they need it, and then, you know, put it out into the world. Um, So I think it just fully depends on what they're capable of uh, budget wise, and then, and, you know, what they're capable of managing as well in terms of assets. Mm -hmm. Um, Because just giving the brand guidelines isn't always, you know, if you don't have someone that's executing on it, who's, adhering to those guidelines, it's not really going to take you anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a big thing. And even, even for us, it's like, I can tell my clients to do whatever it is that I think that they should do. Again, if they start doing random stuff, they, you know, don't hire the proper people. They don't have a good loyalty strategy put in place. It, Mm -hmm. it kind of messes up everything that's been done. And 
you know, sometimes it comes back to us saying, Hey, the stuff that you're doing is not working. And then you go and ask, Hey, you know, have you been doing the things that we told you that you need to do? And that, you know, that whole kind of client relationship sort of falls off. Yeah. And I'm sure we can go on and, and rant about all of those things. Yeah. that happen. I think for both of us as um, out third party vendors, the struggle is always like, we're the consultants, like we're not you know, inside of, we're, we're not insiders at a certain point. We're not insiders anymore. So, um, it's, it's really for a, a smaller or mid-sized company. I mean, bigger companies, you know, they have a, a title and a role for every little function and mm-hmm. a startup or a smaller business. Everybody's wearing a lot of hats, you know, so it's going to happen, but we have onboarded and when we transition out, trying to bring the right people in. And um, I'd say like in a simple way, Brandon, you know, someone who can wear a marketing hat and really mm-hmm. focus on those tactics and someone who can support consistent design. Those are two seats, two roles, but it's kind of like from our perspective, I mean, I know it's not always, like I said, in the budget, yeah. but it should be considered because mm-hmm. if you're going to not, you know, be relying on third parties for the life of the business, or maybe you just go to bigger ad agencies at a certain point as your brand evolves. But in the beginning, like those are two really critical functions to an in-house marketing team. So looking at what your in-house roles are going to be for to manage vendors like us or like you, they don't have to be doing it. But if you know enough and you're just, you know, a marketing generalist or a coordinator, or if you're a graphic designer, you know, um, working in a, in a company that has the foundations that you set up or that we set up two roles that really just help sustain, like you said, the consistency and longevity. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, that makes a ton of sense. And there are tons of parallels, like we're not directly doing the same thing, but I mean, everything you're saying, I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Preaching to the corner. <laughs> like I completely agree, you know, all of this stuff, yeah. um, you know, it's, 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 it's super, super important. And, you know, we, we did, we chat about like all the things that people need to do and all that stuff, but as to like the why, right. Cause that's a big thing for me. It's like, you know, company comes to me, it's like, why do I need to do SEO? Why do I need to do web design? Right. When people come to you, whether it's cannabis dispensaries or other businesses, and I'm sure both of you have two different answers to this as well. It's like, you know, why is branding itself important for, for, I guess, companies in general? Yeah, I I think that takes us back to the initial, um, like, it's your perception is, it's the experience that you have over and over again, um, with a company. And I think that that's super important. I mean, you wouldn't, you know, go to one McDonald's and, and another one, and it'd be a completely different experience, a different look, different marketing, you know, different service. Um, so yeah, yeah. And, and I'll answer it in this, in we can, we'll, we'll just for the fun of it, stay in the cannabis space. Sure. Um, that's like, you know, a sandbox that we're, we've been playing in and we'd like to do more cannabis work. I mean, we, yeah. we love it as, um, you know, as a client sector, it's, it's really fun and it's new and you have a lot of like bright people going into it and there's so much to learn but it's getting saturated. Um, we're in Southeast Michigan. So, you know, from a retail perspective and what's going on with the laws, et cetera. I mean, if anyone is breaking into the dispensary or cultivation space, you don't really have a monopoly on your customers anymore because you're like the only game in town. So now you have to differentiate yourself with sound strategies 
that companies like us can put in place so that the client again has, you know, and maybe not everybody's going after the same person either. Like we see lots of different brands and brand personalities. So, you know, one thing we always talk about or that we like to remind our clients of is like, not everybody's supposed to like you. You know, if, if you're for everyone, then you're not really niching in any particular space. So we do a lot of work on consumer personas, like who really do you want to be like people on fire for you? You know, I'd rather have 20% that are coming back and continuing to come back. So I think now with, with why branding for cannabis companies is so important is just because of the saturation, I think probably just across the board. Are you finding that saturation in any other industries? We work in the food space a lot. Um, That's always like, you know, there's always a lot of noise there. I mean, I think in every, unless it's something really, really novel and new, there's going to be noise in your marketplace. And that's what gives Mm -hmm. us our job, really. I mean, that's like a brand branding has to exist because like, you know, there is competition, but I don't know. What do you think, Jen? Yeah, I would agree. I'd say the consumer packaged goods sector, you know, you're always going to run into areas being really saturated. I mean, like, I think of all the like, well, it might be kind of related to cannabis, but like CBD drinks or, you know, non-alcoholic beverages are becoming really popular. Um, You know, even in like the the food bars, like, you know, snack bar, there's a million different types of snack bars. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like in, in those areas, there's definitely a lot of competition and um, oversaturation. Crazy, crazy world. Like I, I there's a, like here in Toronto, um, there was, there's like a, a new dispensary opening up. It seems like every single day. And there was like two, two dispensaries right beside each other. And like, I was like, what is going on? Like, how are they open up? Beside, they're literally beside each other. They're neighbors. Um, and then I was looking, I was like, how, you know, I think one of them ended up going out of business, like obviously. Um, but one of my friends who was like living, like living right across from there was like, yeah, there's always a line outside one of them. And one of them's always empty. Hmm. I'm just, you know, just racking my brain. I'm like, okay, what, how do they do this? Da, da, da. And here, I don't know if you know, here, like in Ontario, the for the most part, all of the cannabis products are the same. The, the key differentiator is very difficult to be the products themselves. So what is it? It's, it's like the brand. It's like, how do they resonate with their customer? Whatever that means, right? Um, and again, you know, to everything that you guys are saying, I, the branding of that business was the sole thing that let them stay in business longer than their, than their competitor, right? I don't know how they ended up being beside each other, but on that street, I'm telling you, there's like 10 dispensaries, right? And the only thing that can really differentiate them is that branding. Cause like I can go in and SEOify everything, but if I'm walking down the street and I see a dispensary right beside you, right. Well, what can I do? Right. Like, is your brand cooler? Yeah. Right. Does it resonate with me better? Um, I, I did a long kind of webinar talking about like, what is your resonating message? And then I identified, is it millennials? Is it Gen Z? Is it Gen X? Is it baby boomer? And it was all different things that resonated with these different people, right? And I think this is the next step that I think, well, it's going to be the foundational step, but I do think it's the next step that I think dispensaries need to take is that 
it's one thing being the first legal dispensary out of all the illegal ones after everything, you know, legalized, but now it's another thing trying to separate yourself from everywhere else. Right. It's just like, you know, you can't just have a convenience store or, you know, you have hair salons or barbers, like there's a lot of them, but it's like, what is that differentiating factor with them? So to, to ramble on, to kind of go to your guys' point, I, I I'm a big fan of like what branding is and all that stuff versus just, advertising just to advertise if that makes sense like mm-hmm. here's a deal we sell cannabis products here but like you know what i mean like anyone can kind of do that how do you get your people coming back over and over again and, you know that's that's my thoughts on on the branding yeah no you're you're spot on i mean it's a choice and the choice is driven by you know a number of factors with changing consumers and i mean you made me think of too from a culture standpoint like operationally So there's the operational piece of the brand, but that is really important alongside the visual. Like what is the customer service? I mean, when you read on um, the experience maps and Leafly and stuff, you know, like how are the bud, like the bud tender is kind of like really carrying the whole exchange extension of your brand, you know, they are an extension of your brand. So it's how are they talking to consumers? You know what I mean? Like that is part of the brand experience. It is part of it. So like, super important yeah and i don't know if you want to add kind of that level of training to what you guys offer but i'm telling you if you look at the majority of dispensaries and you look at the reviews that they have like 80 percent of them are going to be hey i loved talking with amy she was fantastic she helped me find the right product blah 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 blah. or john remembered it was my birthday and gave me a free whatever it is right Mm -hmm. and i tell people all the time when people write reviews, they're emotionally triggered, either positively or negatively, right? It doesn't matter. People are only going to write reviews if they're super, super happy, or they're really, really pissed off, right? Very rarely are you going to have mediocre reviews, which is why the spread of reviews are five star and one star. You don't really get a lot of three stars, right? So Mm -hmm. as an idea, if you have that sort of uh, mindset on the branding and how you can teach people how to do things, right? And it's an easy sell. Hey, look, Hey, dispensary A, look at your reviews and tell me how many reviews are from your bud tenders, right? Or look at your competitor, right? Because if you're going to go help them, they might not be doing so well. Look at your first competitor and look at all the reviews you're having. I can come into your business, show you from a branding perspective why your employees are an extension of your brand. I know you as a business owner, uh, you know, might not have a lot of time and we can help you with that. Right. And that's something, you know, I don't know if that kind of fits within what you guys are doing, but it's all branding at the end of the day. But that's what I'm noticing in the cannabis space. It's the bud tenders. You're right. They do all of it's, it. It's the customer service. Like you're saying, I mean, I love part of like how I got into this, you know, being like, I love management and organizations. I love organizational behavior. Um, but it's just such a big chunk. Like it, or it's such a, such a big thing to bite. We touch on it in yes. that core in our brand pillar exercise, we touch on like, do you have any, it's a question general, like, do you have anything from a culture standpoint that differentiates you in your space? Yes. So it's kind of like we do the light version of it, like to get them warmed up to thinking about a client thinking about company culture, but like going like heavy into it, you know, um, it's kind of a different game, but it's like, yeah really falls in the same bucket it's so interesting we, we talk about it all the time I mean I don't know it's um it's a bi- that's a big one like culture is value. yeah maybe for the future we definitely like 
I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about it, especially okay. the clients that we've been working with for a while. Cause we're just like sitting like you, we're sitting in that seat that is like watching everything mm-hmm. and we're not in it. We're working on the business and we're yes. not bogged down being in the business. So we can kind of see a little bit more objectively than, you know, the, the people that are operating it from the inside. But we were just talking today about, oh, we, you know, process, process. And yes. we were like, but is it process or is it culture? Because yeah. some, when things are broken, it's usually a culture problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like processes kind of ride if your culture's figured out for the most part. For the, for the most part, for the most part. <laughs> Jen, are you seeing anything like that? Again, it doesn't have to be in the dispensary space. I know it's kind of cannabis centric, but you know, the one thing that I did notice is, is that the, the on the business thing is very much like the bud tenders and stuff like that. Are you seeing anything in like different industries or, or anything like that, where you think the people that are in the trenches might be missing some higher level piece that might be taking them to the next level or preventing them from taking them to the next level? I mean, I'm putting you on the spot right now, by the way. No, it's okay. (laughs) I feel like it's honestly, it's a systemic thing. You know, it's, it's, it's leading by example. Mm -hmm. So whoever is above and and setting that tone is, has a big effect on, you know, how everyone else is going to communicate and work within the organization. Um, And, you know, I think it's having passion for your brand, um, staying true to who you are. Uh, making sure that you're consistently communicating that and, and really hyping up your team, you know, um, empowering them to, to, um, you know, drive the brand forward. Uh, but I don't know that there's been any like one particular thing I've noticed. I mean, I guess that is a particular thing. I think it's just, it's, <laughs> sure. it's truly um, an, an internal thing that, yeah. that can be remedied. No, I mean, look, we're talking a lot about, you know, what we're seeing in different industries and stuff like that. But again, we'd love to touch on some of the, the challenging stuff that you guys are facing right now. Like, what are some of the big things that you guys are, are kind of like, uh, you know, I got, this is something I got to do. I got to fix this right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's, I mean, any number of things, I think, along <laughs> sure, the way, sure. uh, <laughs> you know, we go through different growing pains and, and learning and, you know, messing up and figuring it out type of thing, you know, we kind of fail forward, um, throughout time. Um, but I'd say, you know, like we're always, we're always trying to make those right connections with other vendors, you know, partnering with the right people in order to achieve goals for, for our clients. Um, you know, understanding the, our clients, like if we have a good, um, you know, communication back and forth, a good communication style and trust between the two, like making sure that, that we're setting our expectations properly, um, you know, so that everyone is happy along the way and that there's no ambiguity. Um, yeah. I don't know. Alex, do you have anything to add? Not really. I mean, yeah, for us, it's like, you know, we're, we're confident in our process, but it's just kind of continuing to what Jen said, like fine tune communications and setting expectations and understanding, um, you know, what, what's happening inside of our, our clients' businesses. And do you guys to, to that point about trying to figure out what's happening within the, the businesses, one of the main reasons why I went from, you know, kind of like a legacy agency that just work with all types of local businesses, doctors, dentists, restaurants, lawyers, and stuff like that was because of how nuanced 
some industries might be. I mean, sometimes you might be able to jump in and be like, hey, I know exactly what's going on, boom, boom, boom. But have you guys ever thought of like kind of dialing down on one industry or space or anything like that? Yeah, we actually, um, as part of a rebrand, just revisited who, you know, what, what industries we think we can best serve. So backing into it, going off what you said and learning over time, you know, in the beginning, we would kind of help anybody, but what we eliminated, um, so we eliminated any medical, not cannabis, but (laughs) medical, like traditional, um, medicine, doctors, offices, dentists, cosmetic surgeons, and legal industries, we do not service. So, I mean, we use the word lifestyle loosely, but we're focused on food, retail, hospitality, um, luxury goods, you know, Jen can elaborate on it, but just things that, again, like you said, you know, where there isn't as much, um, it's, it's intuitive for us. It's just, it's just the space we have historically been to provide the best results. Yeah. I'd say we stray away from anything that's like service-based. Correct. Um, I mean, retail is kind of like a hybrid, right? Because you have that extension of, you know, the brand and how people are interacting with it in that way. But I think we tend to stay more in like the goods, um, or restaurant. Yeah. Products and places. We we stick Mm -hmm. to products and places. Yeah. Is there something that drove you guys to do that specifically, or you just kind of fell into it? Um, I think that there's so many other companies out there that niche in like, it's like automotive. We don't do automotive, you know, being here in Detroit, yeah. like why, like, it's just not, Yeah. you know, you need, I, I'm a fan of like specialization. If I'm something's wrong, I'm going to go to a specialist, right. And somebody like, all they do is focus on this one area. And so all we do is brand identity and all we do is brand identity for these certain industries. Um, it happened naturally. We just sort of weeded out where we felt like we didn't, you know, the client didn't see the results or maybe there was a learning curve for us. So, you know, mm-hmm. when it comes to like marketing companies that niche attorneys, like totally different ball game, doctors, kind of different, ball, you know, sure. it's, there's just so many other companies that can like do a, just provide a better service. And we're honest and upfront about that. We get you know, leads all the time that it's like, Hey, I'm doing this, this, and this. And we're like, you know what? We think you, you better serve going somewhere else. Hey, look, you're like the, the big boy pants, the adult pants in the business. When you can start turning away business, that that's when, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it always feels so great, but I think we just stay true to, you know, what really excites us too. And Mm -hmm. what we can get behind. Cause if, if we're not feeling excited and inspired, by a project um, or, you know, we're feeling like the relationship may not be like a, a healthy one, then it, it's, it's, a uh, it's not the right direction for yeah, us. Um, yeah. So, yeah. That's a big one. I mean, look on my end, like I said, there's tons of parallels between what we're doing, but it's always that, like, it could always be just, you know, you can have 99% of your clients are happy. And that one person that's like, you know, it, it, it provides a big, a lot more stress, then I would say is necessary or even needed at that point. It's like, unless they're paying you a ridiculous amount of money, right? It's like, it's it's typically not worth it. I mean, for the most part, I think everyone has, has right at that, that price, that price tag, but uh, it's, it has to be a lot. 
right? And it cascades into the rest of the business because this person gives you, puts you in a bad mental state. You know, you, you know, you then talk to clients who are then stress you out. And it's just like a compounding effect. It's not just that one, that one incidence of like, you know, kind of this bad client experience, right? And we all have that, right? So sometimes you just, you just got to fire the person or the company and be like, Hey, no, let's, let's step back. I don't think this is going to work out. And, you know, we'll kind of go, kind of go where the, where the wind takes us after that. Do you normally recommend like a, another vendor. Uh, so when, let's say uh, someone in the automotive space comes in, do you have like a recommendation where you're like, Hey, I recommend you go to these people. Or do you just say, Hey, I don't think we're a good fit. Like what, what does that process look? I'm just curious myself. Yeah. Yeah, we do that. Um, you know, if it's, if it's something that we don't specialize in or we're mm. feeling like there'd be better, you know, opportunity for them elsewhere, we're open about it saying like, you know, Hey, this just isn't, you know, going to work for whatever XYZ reason. And then, you know, yeah, we offer them like, Hey, we have this contact here or over there, or here's a couple options that you could pursue or look into, you know, and good luck. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Mm I mean, it makes sense. I, I do the same thing too. I do. Well, it's, yeah. it's hard to, like you say, it's hard to turn away people who are like actively looking to work with you, but I think it's, it's better for the growth of, of the business itself. Um, but that leads me to something that I completely forgot. So talk about branding, all the things that go into branding, but what do you guys actually do for clients? Like what, what, what is the, the deliverables of what you guys offer? Cause I know, you know, I mentioned the retail, but that's not something that you really focus on you know, what are the actual tangible things that you do for clients to help them with their branding and stuff like that? Yeah. So it all depends on the client and what their need is. But I mean, we obviously start with the branding process of establishing all the pillars, Mm. making sure that they have the foundation. Um, If they already have that great, we then go into the visuals. So, you know, the logos. And so you want a responsive logo that's going to fit, you know, if it's going to be on a large space or all the way down to a tiny profile picture on social media, um, also having a company in brand marks, you know, like something that's not the logo, but is a lockup that, you know, is part of the visual, um, system. So exporting those as well, color palette, font, any patterns, um, you know, and then into tangible items. If they're a restaurant, they're going to need menus. They're going to need signage, maybe window graphics. Um, is it plates that have, you know, some words oh, or cool. some sort that's of, cool. you know, yeah. graphics or something yeah, on yeah, it? Yeah, is it yeah. napkins? Is it takeout bags, you know, so it just completely depends on what the needs are um, for each client. You know, if it's, if it's a consumer package, good, what's your product that's packaged? How do we package it? How is that designed? Um, Yeah. And then in the digital space, you know, partnering with whoever to create any sort of digital assets or communications. So it's the, whatever strategy that you guys create of, and then whatever direction the company wants to go to and whatever can have something visually put onto it, essentially, right? Pretty much, yeah. Plates, napkins, business cards, brochures. Yep. Like, I'm sure the world is your guy's oyster. That's, that's yeah. really, really awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, we're, I guess we're tapering off to the end, to the, 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 the quote unquote generic questions and all that stuff. <laughs> but, you know, to kind of ask you guys the ending questions, uh, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as partners, what are some of the biggest kind of lessons slash failures, uh, you know, that's happened to you along this journey? And, you know, it doesn't have to be the biggest one, but maybe the one that you learned the best lesson from. Um, so the biggest lesson in the last three years that, that I learned, um, is 
So going back to culture, like we think about our own culture, even though we're smaller, it still matters. But like we learn, you know, get it, we get really caught up in like this perfection mindset of like things need to be perfect and buttoned up before you roll it out. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm sure like if you're listening to it, just fun listening to other, what other business minds have done. Mm -hmm. Um, so we really focus on progress over perfection, like just staying agile and flexible. That was, um, you know, a, a philosophy that Jen and I really shared. And even through, like, even without realizing it, like we kind of always came back to that, like, Hey, even if we can just work on our process, even if we can just hire this, you know, I'm like, we're, we're fans of the baby steps (laughs) leading to big change. Um, And that's what I learned, you know, that like things don't need to be so big and lofty and like, you know, huge goals. Like if you can just kind of bite off a little bit, do a little bit more, set realistic goals, don't let your mental health take a toll. That's Mm -hmm. the biggest thing I learned, I think, just like in general and in post pandemic also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Going off that, I feel like the biggest lesson for me is just staying true to like, you know what you want to achieve in your business, um, setting those attainable goals little by little and, um, just going for it, you know, like taking those risks and, and working hard towards it, but don't, don't work yourself into burnout. Like make sure you're taking the time for yourself and, um, you know, really balancing your life and making sure it goes back into what's, what's going to fulfill you, you know? And I'm going to stray off to be in paths with this. Like it has nothing to do with all the marketing. So I'm just, again, I'm very curious about this because I face a problem of like, okay, like work's done, but like, I'm not doing anything and I feel unproductive. And then because I'm unproductive, I feel guilty that I'm not doing any work. It's like that whole kind of like workaholic type thing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you guys kind of solve that? Knock on wood. I wouldn't say I've experienced any burnout, but nearing the end of the year when kind of Christmas time rolls around, you're like, okay, I've had enough. Let me take my two weeks off and kind of do my thing. Um, but how do you guys kind of, I don't know if you need to separate your, your, your work and personal life, but what is that kind of rest and how does that look for you? I think honestly, we've done a really good job of rem- like keeping flexible schedule. So sure. we don't adhere to, you know, normal business. I mean, we're available nine to five type of thing if our clients want to reach out of course, and schedule of course. meetings, whatever. But um, I think, you know, allowing ourselves to have that flexibility and not feel like we're constrained to this like 40 hour work week constantly has always been something super important to us um, in maintaining, you know, that, that balance and making sure we're not overworking. And, you know, there's a point where we were both <laughs> super burnt out and we we're like, wow, how do we function like this? Yes. Um, yeah. And it just, you know, it went back into to realizing like, yeah, that was unhealthy and we prefer to work this way. And I'm just, you know, stepping away from the computer, take a 15 minute walk outside or, you know, take half a day off and work, you know, two extra hours a couple days later or, you know, so I think the flexibility was always, was um, like the biggest thing for me at least. Nice. Yeah. It, it took us some time. I mean, we, we, you know, we, we continue to talk about it. Like kind of, like you said, totally like holiday time reflecting mm-hmm. on the year. That's really important. Yeah. Something we always do, but it took holding each other accountable and like having, like, if you are a solopreneur or like you're kind of working alone, you know um, it's, or on a smaller team, like sometimes it can, you, you do need to find a support system or just like somebody to talk to when, 
if you don't know if you're doing the right thing, like we, you know, um, imposter syndrome, like, oh my gosh, yes, I got this yeah. client. Like, yes. are we even worthy of this project? Like how much do we charge? There's just so many, I think, you know, talking to other entrepreneurs like you, Brandon, or like some videos we've seen on social media from like other just business, creative business resources and saying like, Hey, we, we kind of all really do share the same stresses. That's been helpful. And, um, one thing, you know, Jen really kind of made sure that we did was if a client back to what you said, like you're reducing a lot of stress. If you don't take on, if you don't let like the, the fee part drive your decisions only it's both. It has to be a good professional chemistry and then the fees have to be there too. And that's, what's fair to both parties. So that, that helped us out a lot mentally. Like, you know, we're willing, we go, we work really hard for our clients. We'll go the extra mile, you know, if we're being treated right and all that. And, and then it can be fun. So it's like the burnout is when there's no joy left in what you're doing. And like, we try to revisit reclaiming because it takes like, you know, you don't just like do something once and work right. out one time and think you're going to be like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so it's, it's constantly revisiting that. Um, yeah. that's been better for us in terms of, like you said, that well-rounded. And then sometimes there's really busy times, like oh, end yeah. of the year yeah. can get psycho crazy, yes. but then summer is a little, maybe a little, I'm just using it as an example, but like yeah. leaning into the busy time. And then also, you know, we both like, wait, we're slow. And it's like, well, it's not slow. It's just normal. So like maybe yes. what we always talk about, like, this is the day where you yes. can go to the 20 minute walk. You know, yeah. we don't need to yeah. load up right now. Yeah. Or whatever. yeah. No, yeah. I, look, I, that, yeah, definitely on agreement with all that stuff. I mean, finding partners or whatever it is, finding clients that are aligned with kind of, I don't want to say work schedule, but like with how you want to work, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. you're going to put in the work, you're going to go above and beyond. But again, if you have those couple of clients that are just like, you know, doing that whole scope creep, or always saying, hey, I'm paying this money, why aren't you doing, you know what I mean? Like that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I just, it's, it's not, it's, it's a lot of stress. You gotta I mean, set I mean, some boundaries. It's the boundaries. Yes. Yeah. Like, yes. didn't start to use that word until I was like, wait, you're right. Like this isn't any different than a bad friendship or a bad relationship. Right. Like, because the transaction can totally eclipse like sound judgment. It's like, right. Hey, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. you know, at one point we were like, Hey, we're going to put on a vacation responder, even though, like you said, you have that workaholic mentality yes. and you're under the gun with payroll and rent and stuff like that. It's like, I can't, I can't take a minute to myself, but it's like, we're going to put the vacation responder on. Yes. Like, no matter yeah. what, we're doing yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. And then adhering to those things, you put the vacation responder on and then you start replying to emails can't do that <laughs> no yeah well can't you know what we we too in the beginning we would like go along with whatever pace the client was setting mm. but it's important like we have a um, client welcome guide that we worked on and that was like a big kind of you know process piece for us where it's like here's the times you can get a hold of us here's normal like you know the times that we re- will respond to email because if you just start with like hey i'm available all the time, all the time. whenever you want to talk yeah to me, text me you know, call me email yeah then like you're setting as the provider, you're setting the wrong expectation. So can we really get like upset with the client if that's kind of the pace you set from the beginning, you know? So it's, we would, you know, maybe fall into like some negativity around that, but we would rein it, but like we realized we got to rein it back in and it's up to us to set the boundaries and limitations in the beginning. You know, right. they're not coming up with our work schedule the first day they meet us. 
Right. Setting yeah. those expectations, super, super important. And that's something that I didn't do before. Either. I was like, that client's going to love this. They can get in t- contact with me at all the time. Like, no, like they're texting me. They're calling me yeah. messenger. I'm like, look, <laughs> email, please just please email me. Right. And I let them know why I don't, I, you know, I don't come across as like a, you know, a, as a mean person. I'm just like, look, like I'm managing a lot of clients, right? right. For me to go message you on text, on Skype, on Slack, on all these different things, it's going to mm-hmm. overwhelm me. I'm going to give you a worse product. Right. So hit me up over email. I will respond in a timely manner between these hours and these hours. And that's it. And for the most part, a lot of people are very understanding, right? If you tell them, Hey, like, this is kind of how we're doing business. And then if they have any pushback, it's like, look, okay, like, let me buy products from your store anytime that I want. Whenever I feel like buying it, let, open up your door and let me come in and buy. And they're like, ah. they're like ah, okay, I understand. Right. Cause it's the exact yeah. same thing. And people, Giving them know, an analogy. Yeah, it helps. Exactly. It's like, you know, hit them with that. So I guess on that note, as my second, my second last question is, what kind of uh, golden nuggets or anything would you give to dispensary owners or other businesses, um, you know, to kind of take their marketing or their just business as a whole to the next level? Obviously, you're going to put your branding twist on it. But again, we'd love to kind of hear if you were to give any of these, any of the audience members that are hopefully are listening, uh, what would you kind of tell them, tell them to, to do? I'll defer to you, Alex. Okay. <laughs> uh dispensary and cannabis brands what would they do um probably i'd say don't fall prey to like the trend because Mm -hmm. yes um try to let your own personal philosophies like drive your brand and and be the foundation for your brand and and you know let that authentic organic approach like really carry you through because that's what's going to last mm-hmm. versus riding on a trend because once that trend is passed then you got to figure out who you are mm-hmm. all over again exactly. or in the identity business so yes. identity is you know we all change but and business certain things evolve and change but that like core foundation is so important so yeah maybe just starting out, take note of like things that come naturally. We had one client where, you know, a lot of like the, the partners, what just the way that they approach life, you know, like mm. a sense of adventure and thrill and mindfulness and all these things that came out in the brand. And it was so cool because these are things that they, you know, if you meet them, like our favorite entrepreneurs, they're like who they are in and out of the business. So like mm-hmm. maybe, you know, not yeah. compartmentalizing, like this is who we are in our personal life this is who we are as a business, like letting it all kind of blend into one organic space, I think could be really fun for, um, for cannabis brands. You know, we see a lot of like, they're trying to be like, um, you know, maybe like someone else, or like you said, maybe like their neighbor or, you know, doing it, how it's always been done or leaning into trends. And I think the people who are really, really pioneering branding in the cannabis space are not paying attention to any of that. Right. Right. So I mean, yeah. you hit it. You hit it. You said everything. You said all the thoughts. Jen, you sure you don't want to add any, any uh, little, I don't, little tidbits? No, I think Alice covered it all. I couldn't say it better, <laughs> oh, honestly. Fun. Thanks, Brandon. This is so great. Yeah, look, like I said, these are these are really, really fun. I, like, I, I love doing these. It's just like, just organic. Organic is the word of the day, apparently. It's just a good yeah. conversation, right? Um, and it yeah. doesn't come across as, hey, we're trying to like sell or pitch anything. It's, it's really, really good. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I guess the last thing is like, where can people find you say if they want to get in contact? Yeah. So buildcreative.com, B-Y-L-D creative.com is where you can find us. 
um, formerly known as Brand Bar. So, you know, that might creep up here and there, but you can find us now at buildcreative.com. Sweet. Well, look, that's it, guys. I, I don't have anything else for you. We went through okay. the questions. Um, yeah, 